0: listening to the OK Fisher podcast, part of the OKist
1: podcast network, featuring your hosts, Matt Dry, and Greg Tubbs.
0: Welcome back to the OKist Fisher podcast. Matt is having some technical difficulties. He'll be joining shortly, we hope. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but meanwhile, we have a guest Adam Walton of Pike Pole Fishing Guide Service. How we doing, Adam? I'm doing phenomenal. How are you doing? I can't complain. Well, we could complain, couldn't we? We should probably complain a little bit. We're gonna complain a little bit. The fact that we have
2: no ice to fish on in our neighborhood. Yeah, that's bad news, man. We um, we just uh, went on did ice reports this morning and uh, water reports. I should call them. Because yeah. it was uh, it was bad news, and we got some more bad news coming here this week. But after that, I think we're finally going to get the cold snap. We've been meeting for uh, yeah, for all this time to to finally get out on the ice in a safe manner. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I did tune into your uh, your slush report. We'll call it a slush report. Yeah, Not yeah, slush nice, report. There you go. Yep, uh, you were running around to some of the area lakes and uh, with the spud bar and just poking holes in the slush and going, yep, yeah, you shouldn't do this, but you have to do it because if people don't actually see it for themselves, we know we're going to have something happen.
2: Right, and it's also, you know, you're trying to save people time. You know, I know a lot of people work. Um, you know, they, they got a very small window when they can go fishing. You know, a lot of people drive. We got a lot of followers. We're just shy of 10,000 followers and a lot of out-of-state people. Um, you know, we'll come across the border trying to come north to, you know, colder weather uh, and come up here and find slush. You know, that's we're just trying to, we're trying to do a couple of things. Obviously, we want to keep people safe. That's our number one goal. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's a reason I started doing these ice reports. We talked a little bit off air about that uh, prompted these to, to start getting done. Um, but there's also the factor of we're trying to help people with time management as well yeah so multiple reasons
0: yeah and as a a working guy i can totally appreciate that you know been chomping at the bit all winter long to try and get out there and i want to be safe you know and i think that's part of the reason we're having this conversation is we want to talk some ice safety first ice safety or even you know ice safety in general even in the middle of the season especially this season i think our season it's definitely going to be short um to be uh, very vigilant about ice safety would is it, pretty important.
2: It is, you know, and everyone's itching to get out, uh, myself included, but um, we have a rule uh, for the guide service that I won't start taking people out until we get a consistent four inches or more. Uh, I'm not saying that I won't, you know, go out on my own to scout a little bit on, you know, maybe three inches or so, but I'm a pretty big dude. So I know, uh, from trial and error i know what what kind of ice and the thickness it has to be to hold me safely um but with that said i've even gone through a couple times uh not planned unlike you know some of the videos and uh yeah it's it's a humbling experience you spend enough time on the ice it's not a matter of, of if you're going to go through it's a matter of when and then you know being prepared is is the difference between life and death and that's really one of the biggest messages that that I try to deliver. And I got a couple other guys that have helped me tremendously along the way to deliver that same message. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and aside from it, you're a a firefighter locally, right? I am, yeah. I'm a a firefighter, a paramedic. I was in my 16th year uh, doing that full-time. I was a volunteer for uh, just under nine years prior to that. And I served six years in the military, so basically, I haven't slept a normal, um, a normal night's sleep since I was eighteen years old. So, nineteen years old. Well, I, it's been a while.
0: Yeah, it's that's a heck of a career, and I got to say, thank you for your service. I mean, I'm sure you, hopefully, you don't get sick of hearing pe- people say that. You know, it, it's yeah, you know, what?
2: and I and I and I really do appreciate it. But you know, it's one of those things. Uh, I, I knew a long time ago when I was a kid that I wanted to do something like that. My grandfather was a firefighter, and I remember him coming home from lunch and joining him at lunch and checking out the fire trucks, and just thought that was the coolest thing in the whole wide world. And I fell in love with it way back then, and I guess I kind of grew up. Um, you know, I'm a farm kid from Edgerton. My, my parents, um, I think, taught me pretty well. Um, I looked at life as I, I, I truly want to try to make a difference. My short time here on this planet, um, you know, we're all we're all here, just a moment, a speck of time, right? And I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, I do good with my life and try to make a difference for other people and, and make sure I raise my kids right so they, they can continue like my parents did with me.
0: hundred percent. I can appreciate that. And lo and behold, the man of the hour, Matt Strime, how are you?
1: Uh, A little technical difficulties, but I'm glad I was able to sneak on. What's up, Matt? How are you? Uh, I've been better. Running a little late, like not normal. but.
0: Adam and I were wondering uh, what what you were having for a beverage over there that you were struggling so poorly.
1: Just water, man. That's why. (laughs) That explains everything.
0: I'll need a cocktail after this, though. Oh, boy well you missed adam he was flashing lights and taking his shirt off and you know it was it was pretty
2: pretty comical i know the he- dollar bills were, dollar bills are flying in left and right
1: yeah. <laughs> well i'm sorry i missed it are you are you though maybe yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. so well yeah What you missed so far, Matt, was we were talking about the lack of ice and Adam's illustrious career as a firefighter and paramedic and the six years of military experience he has. So we didn't get too far into the meat and potatoes yet, but we did just iterate that ice safety is very important. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes.
2: We just, I just went out uh, and did ice reports this morning too, Matt. I don't know if you got to see the video yet, but I just posted it on our Facebook page. Um, and we decided we're going to call it the slush report, <laughs> which would be more accurate. Yep. And yeah, uh, yeah. not, right. looking, not looking too good here for the next couple of days, but I think uh, I was just looking at the forecast. We got two to three inches of snow tonight, Wednesday night. That's supposed to be potentially hitting us. And then Friday, they see they just entered, uh, issued another winter storm watch, six to plus or six plus inches on Friday. And uh, you guys know as well as I do, you got any ice out there? If it gets insulated by a lot of snow, that can really be detrimental to ice development. And you got a lot more slush. So, thankfully, what we did find up on the north and the Kashkanon today was all open water, um, other than the little bit along the shoreline. So if that can stay open through the snowfall, that's actually advantageous to us because after the snow, it looks like the temperatures are just going to plummet into single-digit and negative temperatures for about, I don't know, three or four days, and that that's really going to, should make some pretty significant ice pretty quickly with the average temp about zero degrees. So we'll have to see how the ice that um, the south end of Koshka was about, I don't know, about an inch and a half, maybe two inches thick, but it was, it was just really crappy ice. But that might be enough to hold that snow. And the north end might actually be better off at, once the season gets going than the south end, but at time will tell.
1: Sure. When you get that slushy stuff on top, because I saw that video you posted today, it's real gray, Real, it's basically the snow melting on there and then freezing, not as ice, ice, but as like the slush. If the snow falls on that and keeps pushing that down, is that all crap ice or is there a chance we might actually get some good ice?
2: Well, if that can freeze, that's a great question. If that freezes, because like right now, I think it's probably close to freezing, if not below, um, where during the day it wasn't. Um, If that freezes and the wind stays at bay, uh, that'll actually, that slush should turn into ice. And then if snow goes on top of that, then you're going to start the process potentially over again where you'll have that insulating blanket of snow and then maybe like an inch or so of slush and then that ice. So it's it's really hard to tell how this is all going to play out. Um, you know, like I said, the best, the best thing that could happen is this ice just gets ripped apart here because I think it's supposed to be a little bit warmer tomorrow. When I say warmer, I'm talking like, you know, upper 30s. Um, when we get some wind moving in and break some of this ice up, and it actually opens up. That's that's probably a good thing.
1: Yeah, and I did hear upper like fifty mile an hour gusts on that Friday storm too. So maybe yeah. whatever little ice we could maybe break it up and hopefully get some fresh stuff. But
2: yeah, it kind of depends on when that um, wind comes in because I think I think I think Saturday the temps were in the twenties and then Sunday the temp was like four and then yep. monday it was like 3 and tuesday it was like 4 again and then lows are -5 so that's that's going to be the ice maker
0: yeah we'll be making the ice that'll yeah be, that'll be awesome and if we can just continue
2: that trend right it'd be well awesome. i think it i think it bounces back up and i got this forecasting the result 45 days i don't know you know how how accurate (laughs) that really is but um basically i look at is it going to be cold or not i don't look at the temperature all the you know unless it's about two weeks out i'll look more at the temperature but um, it was showing the bouncing back up into the 20s and 30s for the the time after that so should be more comfortable make some ice and then get comfortable i'm okay with that
0: yeah yeah well, I think we covered the ice report pretty pretty well. Um, when it comes to ice safety, what what should we what should we be carrying around with us? What should we be? What kind of precautions should we be taking?
2: So the first thing I can always there's two things I always got with me, especially early ice, is a spud bar and ice picks. You can go more in depth with that and have a float suit. Um, The other thing that I do is, you know, anyone who has a boat, they're required to have a float cushion for the state of Wisconsin. Uh, What I do is, I take that float cushion out of my boat, and I I have a 50-foot rescue rope that's in a bag, and I tie one end of that to that float cushion, and that comes with me everywhere I go to on early ice. Uh, I run snow dogs for the guide service, so they're uh, actually on the snow dogs themselves too. So whether we go through. Or someone else in the vicinity goes through, I have a way to either float myself and then throw rope to someone else so they can pull me out, or vice versa. I hold the rope and I can throw my throw cushion to a victim if, if they they go through. Um those things right there I think are the are the bread and butter, but a bare minimum spud bar and ice picks. Okay. And get a get a heavier spud bar too. Don't don't get this like a little chintzy one you make with a piece of conduit. Uh, I got a Eskimo spud bar. Um, I'm a pretty big guy, but I know that that spud bar, if it goes through in less than two hits, I need to back off. I just know that from experience. And when I give it a hit, it's a good, it's a bang, bang. You know, not just little soft hits. I'm dropping it, I call it the hammer of Thor. So a, some lady on Facebook, I was doing mm-hmm. ice reports. She got on there and karen me by uh, calling it the hammer of Thor, and I was putting holes all over the ice for the ice skaters. And as there's a bunch of rocks on the ice from other people that threw rocks out there, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm the problem, but whatever. <laughs>
0: I remember seeing that post it, on Facebook. It, yeah, it, it wasn't last year. Was it the year before or something? Year it before. It was yeah. the year before, and I'm going, are, are we really going to argue about this? I mean... Oh, it's it, hilarious, man. Oh, my god. So we got
2: stickers made up. Got stickers made up, said hammer of Thor we put hammer Thor on the spud bars and we start using those for all future uh, ice reports. That's a little oh, tip of the hat to Karen out there. Yes. Thank you Karen, for that. Yeah Yeah, So that's um uh, you know a spud bar a, a really good spud bar and they're not terribly expensive in the scheme of things is um, is absolutely critical for the ice. Hit before you step. I always tell people. And then carry ice picks in case you go through. And the video that we did shows the difference between ice picks and not having ice picks. And it's um, a lot less work when you have ice picks to try to get yourself out than it is without them.
0: Yeah, I remember watching that video. And having a float suit's nice, too. I mean, they're so readily available. Almost everybody's making one now. I mean, I think when they were first a thing. Uh, I think the one I have is a Striker brand or whatever, but almost everybody's making something now. I mean, there's no excuse not to spend a couple hundred bucks and at least get the bibs to start with. I mean, uh, having the bibs is a huge thing because it's kind of carrying you from below and keeping you up. Um, But it's still not going to protect you from hypothermia.
2: Right, and and I'm glad you said that because, you know, drowning is just one factor. Uh, Hypothermia is considered the silent killer that actually can get more people than drowning itself or frostbite you know you take lake winnebago or lake koshkana some of these big waters now koshkana really shallow but you could get out there you know significant ways away your four-wheeler goes throughout the middle of that lake and you know you're three miles away from shore and you got a negative 20 degree wind chill going on you fall through you don't have your quad to get you back you're, you're hoofing it. That's a long time to be out in that cold weather, and a lot of people overlook that. And, you know, unfortunately, some people have fallen victim to that exact scenario where, yeah, they got out just fine, but hypothermia was a problem after that. So, yeah, float suits are great, but you fall through, you fall through. You got to know what to do, the whole process.
0: Can you walk us through, like, like the treatment of hypothermia? Like say you got called to the lake, um, you rolled up in the bus and and you got to take this poor soul that fell through and he's not doing so well. I mean, what's what's protocol? Can,
1: well, first can off,
2: I, it is yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I
1: was, was say, can I jump back one step? Uh, I wanted to ask a question just before that. What's the best advice to somebody that is in that situation with the quad falls through, has a mile walk back, has got nobody else? What, what would you recommend doing trying to get to shore safely before sure, the bus gets question.
2: called? And that's a great question. I was going to mention that, too. Um, it, contrary to what common sense would tell you, you actually want to remove wet clothing. Wet clothing will pull your body heat at about 25% faster rate than air temperature will. So you probably don't want to be streaking across the lake naked but getting off a lot of that wet that heavy wet clothing one it's going to make you more mobile and two yeah it's it's going to be cold we've already we've already crossed that threshold we're going to be cold but how cold do we want to get try to take off that heavy wet clothing as much as you can and then get to shore as quick as you can obviously and this is another reason i always say you know travel with partners if you're if you're traversing across the water, don't be together. Stagger each other. So if one person goes through, there's a second person there to at least get to shore, help rewarm you. You know, they can take their coat off, even though they're going to be cold too. They can take their coat off and get it to you. Um, there's a lot of benefits to traveling in pairs. Um, making sure someone knows where you're at. So if you aren't able to make it to shore and you don't show up where you're supposed to be, they know where to look for you. you some time and time is critical in those situations so yeah those are all things prior to you know ems getting called that you can do for yourself or help someone do if you're out there um as far as your question though um excuse me greg was about what happens when after that right yeah what happens after
0: that i put the cart yeah the horse a little there but (laughs) sorry greg that's (laughs)
2: fine <laughs> it, uh, it it it's a hypothermia is a tricky thing to treat. Um, it all depends on how severe it is. So they have mild hypothermia, which is which we've all had before, where you, you know you're shaking, and you kind of get those uncontrollable shakes. Um, then you go into more moderate hypothermia, where actually you start shaking less, and you start to get a little bit lethargic, uh, almost to the point where if you were talking to someone with it. You'd almost think that maybe they're, they're drinking. They get a little bit um, not co- not coherent as much. And then you get into severe hypothermia where you actually can go unconscious. And then you have profound hypothermia where it's cardiac arrest and hard to be reversible. So depending on what level of hypothermia you're in will depend on the treatment you're given um, based off of when EMS arrives. Um all of it though the biggest thing and this is good to know too if you're treating yourself or someone else that you care about is n- nothing is rapid you do not want to rapidly rewarm someone you can throw them into cardiac arrhythmias and if they're in severe cardiac or uh, sorry if they're in severe hypothermia you actually can throw them into cardiac arrest wow. by rapid rewarming so it's a slow steady rewarming process that's probably the biggest takeaway from that
0: that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense.
2: It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it, hypothermia pay, patients that are in cardiac arrest are very hard to convert back to a, a viable rhythm. Hard to get them back. So we really try not to. You really don't want to get into that situation.
1: So gradual warming, stuff like that. Don't throw them in a hot bathtub. Nothing like that. Right.
2: Nope, Don't rub. You know, if you got cold extremities, don't rub. That can actually hurt tissue that's that's already frozen or, or really cold and damaged tissue. So, you know, first thing you want to do is try to you know warm warm their arms or whatever. Don't don't do that. That's all bad stuff. Uh, we always tell people you get like hot packs into the the armpits or groins or up around the neck where blood gets closer to the the skin. Those are are good ways to kind of passively start the rewarming process. You know, if you don't have hot packs, you could get uh, hot water on a towel and then, you know, put towels, warmer towels in those areas. Uh, Again, passive rewarming. Obviously, always call EMS because that's a uh, once you're in that moderate to severe state, those are those are true emergencies.
0: Well, that got heavy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's a big deal, man. I mean. It is. Fortunately enough, I mean, I've had, you know, like you said, light cases of hypothermia. I've I've fallen in before and luckily been, you know, just coming off the lake and in the marsh when, when I fell through and the truck wasn't too far away. And I had enough layers on where, I don't know, it basically felt like I, I peed myself. <laughs> so, yeah, that's,
2: that's not terrible. You can deal with that. Yeah, and I think
0: I even had uh, uh,
2: wool long johns on too, so that was
0: that was a saver.
2: Yeah, wool's actually a pretty a pretty good thing to wear if you can. Yeah. Um it it wicks away water naturally, which is is nice unlike, you know, cotton or whatever that can absorb water more so. So if you got a choice of what to wear, there's there's another option that could help you out.
0: Yeah, I really like merino wool to be honest with you. Um I don't know how long ago I switched to I think probably 8 years ago I switched to wearing that stuff and I wear it ice fishing and I wear I wear it bird hunting, deer hunting, whatever. I, I always wear it, even if I'm going out in the boat and I know the weather is going to be crap and I have not so good uh, rain gear, it's nice to have. Because even if it does get wet, you still stay, stay somewhat warm.
2: So right. It's a great I'm incident. too fat for wool. I'd, I'd sweat <laughs> profusely, even if it's negative 30, if I was wearing wool or anything. I'm the guy that I'm going to, I got my Eskimo bibs on and a T-shirt out there at 20 degrees and I'm comfortable. <laughs> it's a lot of, i got a lot of wisconsin built-in insulation okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> so on a lighter note let's talk what are you going to fish when we finally do get
2: ice what is what is your fish of choice what are you going to go after personally my favorite is walleye uh, obviously pike pole fishing is uh the multi species guide service, uh, unlike, uh, it's, it had, to, it didn't do a lot of marketing. I didn't think this through all the way uh, <laughs> when I first started the business. So as a firefighter, this all made total sense to me. Um, but I, I found out real quickly that it didn't make sense to the rest of the world. So I had to do some counter marketing to, um, to our name of the business. So pike pole, most people think we fish pike which we do as part of the multi-species. But pike pole is actually a tool that we use in the fire service. We use that tool to pull down ceilings, to uh, open up, to look for hidden fire in attics or whatnot. We use it for overhaul. Uh, But pike pole's original use was in the fishing industry. Uh, Whalers used it, and the ice... um, the guys that did those, you know, they used to cut ice in the rivers and whatever. Yep. They used those pike poles to hook onto ice. So it had the pike poles had a, a fishing history, they had some ice history, and they got a firefighting history. So to me, that was like, oh, that's a perfect name for my business. Little did I think that everyone was going to think that we just fish for pike. So <laughs> I had to change the name to Pike Pole Fishing to Pike Pole Fishing Multi Species Guide Service. And uh, get over that speed bump, but I think we've uh, achieved that goal. So, um, but yeah, with that said, uh, walleyes are my forte, man. I fished. Uh, I used to fish the uh, Midwest Walleye Series and the uh, AIM Pro Walleye Series. Had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I've gotten out of the tournament tournament style uh, fishing and just concentrate more on guiding. And and uh, I got three little boys now, so family's important and being home for those guys. Tournaments would. Uh, You know, they take a lot of time away from that. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot, became a great, uh, a better angler. I don't want to say great because there's always room to improve, but a better angler because of it. I learned a lot from a lot of great anglers, guys that really know their game. And I got to be friends with uh, quite a few of them um, and still talk to quite a few of them this day. So no regrets on doing that. And it's uh, actually helped the guide service quite a bit um, targeting walleyes, but yeah, so walleyes, walleyes is my my jam, man. But uh, we go after pike too, and and do it heavily. Perch, crappie, bluegill. We're on the on the panfish, uh, on the panfish game too. So, kind of whatever the whatever the ice tells us and the waters tell us, that's what we do. That's awesome. Uh, I think variety is the
0: spice of life. So, you know, that's that's great that you expand your horizons and take people for different different experiences.
2: It's fun too. It keeps things uh keeps things interesting. You know, it's like I I could never and, and no offense to the bass guys out there. I could never be a bass angler and just go out and just catch 14 to 18 inch bass and that's it all day long. I, I that would get so I I would think I would personally I would get bored with that. So I, that's why I really like the multi-species aspect of things. And we bass fish too. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're actually they're really fun to catch. I just like you said, I need a little variety in things. And I think a lot of other people, um, do too. When they call us there, they'll say, Hey, I really want to go after walleyes and we'll get on a walleye, but I've like, got pike biting too. You want to go catch some of those? And they will. And they're like, Oh my God, this is more fun. I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Open up some windows.
0: Yeah, man. Pike. I personally, have I've always been a big fan of pike and ever since I was a kid. I mean, we would go certain places just to catch pike and, uh, I don't know, man. I haven't done enough pike fishing probably in the last 15 years. I'd, I'd really like to get back into doing it more like I used to when I was younger. Uh, I enjoyed it. They're aggressive. They taste good. Um, you know, honestly, you can, if you catch one nice 26, 27-incher, you can get a lot of fillets out of
2: one of those fish. Uh, you can.
0: Man, are they they're good eating
2: they are. They got they're a little bit uh, sweeter meat to them, and you get some. You can get some steaks off those. They're they're not fillets. They're more like steaks than some of those, some of those uh, tail fillets. You know, they're they're nice and juicy. We have um, we gotta have a a set uh, a set limit um, so to say. We're more about. I'm pretty pretty big conservationist when it comes to fishing. <laughs> Believe me, I'm all about eating fish too, but I'm more about making sure that their future has um the same opportunities that we've had so the rule in our boat is if you come fishing with us you can keep one pike it's got to be between 26 inches because the state says so and 30 inches because we say so anything over 30 we release because those are our big females and we want those females in the system same is true for walleyes state says 18 inches if we say 20 is max anything over 20 inches we put back in because again those are likely going to be our breeder fish we kind of have a self-imposed limit, um, but there's a reason why. And I, I'll tell you what: when I first implemented that rule, I thought, "Eh, might be rocking the boat a little bit." But we've had more business, and people appreciate that than we had people balk about it. I, I can't tell you. I think we've had maybe two people ask about why we do it that way, and I explain it to them, and they're like, "Oh my god, that makes sense." That's great. Yeah, it turns out most people want to go fishing are hiring guides not to fill their freezer they're having they're hiring us because they want to go have a good time you know in this area they like campgrounds you know it's mom dad two kids they don't have a boat they're looking for something to do yeah go out there and you know kids caught a bluegill but these aren't kind bigger and you can get them on a walleye or a pike i mean yeah that's that's excellent that's yeah. what it's all about
1: get them hooked for life now
2: yeah you want to take a few home to eat awesome you know we're not filling the freezer I'm going to come out here get a couple for supper but more so we're making some memories that you'll hopefully never forget they'll remember hey dad remember one time we went up to wisconsin went fishing with that fat guy and then you guys caught all those walleye. yeah it's not gonna be part of that story to help a family out that's that's what it's all about man
0: yeah and i mean i haven't been out with too many guides um but i will say like i was watching everything they did and I was asking questions and I I'm not afraid to ask questions you know like it's a new technique you know bottom bouncing or whatever the technique was that was catching the fish. All right, why do you do it this way? And you know those jig, those jigs look lighter than maybe what I would use. Why do you use them that way? Well, because they have a slower fall rate, whatever it is. But most guides are pretty good and they they teach you they're willing to talk to you about what you're what they're doing and why and the time of year and and the bottom contour or whatever it might be it's a good learning experience to go with a guide 100
2: well in the circle of guys that i work with they're all i think very uh we're all very like-minded we're out there to try to um help people have a great day help share our experiences with others that so they can you know maybe take something away the next time they go on a fishing trip they're like hey i remember this tactic i learned and this is a perfect conditions for doing that. I should try it. You know, everything, there's a rhyme and reason to everything that we do, whether it's a weather pattern, um, watercolor, time of year, water temperature, species targeted. It is a puzzle that we put together every single day. And that puzzle can change in a blink of an eye. What I'm doing in the morning and, um June 2nd, might be completely different than what I'm doing in the afternoon on June 2nd, you know, based off of the sun, cloud covers, waves, no waves, wind direction, pressure systems. And that can all dictate, okay, this color is working good in the morning, but now once the sun is up and we don't have any clouds in the sky, now we're switching to this color and this and this is why. And it's knowing those subtle little differences and, and trying to share those experiences with the people. So when they go out and they're catching some fish in the morning, they're like, oh, bite's over well is it I mean sometimes yeah sometimes I like on Koshkanon, the bite sucks between like 11 o'clock and one one o'clock um just that that high noon but you know picks back up after that a lot of times it's just uh, tactic changes
0: absolutely so are you gonna be ice fishing out on Kosh Was that, do you think yeah hopefully be, yeah hopefully'll be, um, that'll be that'll your,
2: that's their plan your, your first trip of the year hopefully. I think that's where we're gonna go. We got a video shoot lined up on the sixteenth. Um I told the the video crew coming out there said one, uh, I don't know if we're gonna have safe ice by then. It's gonna be right in that window where we should be making some ice. Yeah, but I don't know where it's gonna be exactly. And I said two with a cold front that significant coming in that heavy. That's gonna shut the bite. That will shut a bite down. Um, You know any. Any of the, the north wind, high pressure, strong cold fronts always slows fishing down. So I said, you know, maybe maybe we want to wait till after the temperatures start to go so we can go out and get some, you know, some action as well, not just getting out there to get out there, actually going out there on a day that's more likely to be more productive too.
0: Sure. So are you more of a tip-up fishing guy? I mean, my experience was fishing – river impoundments like like kosh or, or some of the lakes further to the north that are part of that system um we just spread out tip-ups on the big shallow muddy flats because that's what we had but are you finding success jigging as well
2: i do yeah actually you know don't get me wrong i love tip-ups there's something about it man you sell your tip-ups you can sit back and yep. um, a lot of times what i'll do is that that spud bar we we're talking about earlier i'll draw out uh a shuffleboard, uh, court with the spud bar on the ice, yes. And we use ga- we use Gatorade bottles, and we'll play shuffleboard or you know, whatever, some kind of games in the meantime. Uh, but in the, in the whole the whole time, we got a ring of tip ups all the way around us, so it's like, yeah, you're just kind of hanging out, having fun. I got a TV, forget the permanent shack, I got a TV out there and everything too, so you can watch football games. Uh, I doubt we're going to get that out this year, but more than pop ups out, but um. You know it's enjoyable. You get that camaraderie going on. Uh, you get to have a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, and all of a sudden the flag goes up. Whoop! Jump. There it is. You know, <laughs> game face, and you're going out there. So there's something to be said about that. That is uh, when you're fishing in big groups. I think that's that's a really good way to do it. It's a lot of fun in multiple aspects. Um, but if I'm out there and, it, and it's it's game time, um, we got tip ups out. We got jig rods out. Uh, if we're fishing shallow water like Kosh or even some of the shallow, shallower areas of the deeper lakes, but we're fishing in the in shoreline a little bit closer, um, if we're jigging, it's silence. You know, we're not shuffling your feet. You wouldn't believe how much sound carries underwater. And I always tell people, too, don't run to your tip-offs, especially in early ice and shallow water. Everyone does it, and I laugh every time I see people just barreling across the water or the ice, they get their tip up and they're oh, it came off. Well, it probably spit the bait because it heard you coming about 100 yards away. So, you know, take your time. Let the fish take the bait. You're going to get there, set the hook, bring it in, nice, calm, cool, collected. Pretend you've done it before. That's why I always tell people. Pretend this isn't your first one. Now, if it is your first one, you get a pass. You get excited. It's cool. I like to see <laughs> excitement, but yes. we also want to land fish, too.
1: Does that count for the first one of the season or the first one overall? Because I'm no, always first one of the season. My... First okay. one of the season,
2: that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I'll say first one of the season. We got all that pent up with energy, so you gotta let it out somewhere. Indeed. Yeah. So well, you know, and later and later in the season too, once you get vehicle traffic and foot traffic, you know, they got seven tournaments going on out there. All weekend long, those fish will acclimate a little bit to sound, just like in the summertime. You know, they acclimate to boat traffic. You know, you, you get to the mouth of the river, and you know, you know, it's like Crazyville with boat traffic, all but you're time. still catching fish there. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll get there. But I I just say early season, um, you don't need the balls of the wall run to your tip ups. Just take your time. Don't spook them.
0: Sure. Favorite bait to use for walleyes under the tip-ups?
2: I would say... On a tip-up, I would say probably either a number... Probably a number four or number six trouble hook with a double fathead presentation. So those fatheads will sit there and kind of hit each other, make some commotion. And here's the thing that I do that a lot of people kind of think I'm dumb. Uh, I don't like to use sinkers. Um, those fish will typically naturally go towards the bottom. It just takes a long time. Um, the weight of the hook will will kind of sink it down. If I do use a sinker, it's a very, very small slit shot. Because sinkers tire out your minnows. That's, minnows trying to swim around, and if it's got to battle around that weight, It's going to, they're just going to get tired out and then they're just going to lay there. Lively bait catches fish. So I try to keep my bait lively as possible. Same with shiners. If I'm, if I'm pike fishing, I set a shiner on a a hook and I drop it. I let that shiner do whatever it wants to do, because that's what it naturally does. it wants to be up under the ice, so be it. If the pike is, pike, you're going to see that up against the ice anyways. They'll come up and grab it. He wants to go down low, cool. I could go down after it you don't need to put uh, sinkers on those let them do their thing so yeah that's kind of a little a little tip that I that I try to tell people when we take them out sure. surprises a lot of people that is
1: interesting less is more
2: yeah so to say help yeah. do you like uh as far as, as far as jigging though I would say probably um it, it's hard to be a cast master spoon man those things uh Castmasters are you know it's one of those if you only could have five lures in your tackle box what would they what would they be i guarantee a castmaster would be one of them you can use that open water ice fish and then pan fish game fish doesn't matter so yeah that's that's a go-to for me do do you tip it with anything um so if i'm pan fishing i'll usually tip it with a i don't like waxies as much as i like spikes i've seemed to have more luck with spikes um and usually I do like a, a a two or a three. I might put one on each hook. Um, if I'm doing game fish, I'll just do like a minnow head typically. Sometimes I'll put a full minnow, but not not too big a one on there because I don't want I don't want tail bites and missing fish. Little scent that's all I need. <laughs> sure.
0: Do you like painted or chromed or gold? What's
2: what's your what's your go to color? Gold is always a good one. Purple gold is always a good one. A um, lot of orange. That chartreuse seems to be a pretty good color. Uh, that hammered hammered gold in particular, not just gold, but that hammered gold. I don't know what it is about it; it just reflects differently in the yeah. in the light. Uh, if I'm pike fishing, I use uh, especially on a sunny day, I'll use chrome I actually clear the snow away from my um, ice hole. And I, I want more light to go down there because I want that lure to flash with the sun. Almost looks like a wounded minnow, minnow, you know, the side of a shiner, right? Excuse me, side of a shiner flashing in that sunlight gets their attention. And that's how spoons work, right? Right. So give it the give it the light that it needs. Yeah. Are you steal you gonna steal all these tricks and take them out on Kachkanaw this year. And start your own guide service. <laughs> No, no sir. You, you're on! You're on to okay. us.
1: Good. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite GPS
0: locations? Yeah, <laughs> to, and that will be the next episode. <laughs> no, if anything, we're uh, coming fishing with you or something. I think that's what we're gonna do.
2: <laughs> you should. It'd be fun, man. Oh, I, I can dude, guarantee you are gonna have a good awesome. time. Can bring some bush lattes with you.
0: There you go. I I can I can provide beverage for you for sure. Perfect. Hundred percent. Yeah, man. Um, pan fishing. I mean, I love pan fishing, and I don't. I don't know if I necessarily want to make this a whole episode about fishing kosh, but it seems like that's where we keep going. And I know we have we have a, a little ice fishing tournament we're going to be doing on it February third. Lord willing, the uh, the ice keeps forming. Um, yeah. Kosh, I've never never panfished on before in, intentionally i think i've caught one perch out of out of the river in <laughs> fact you know so i know there's perch in there but what can you tell us about panfishing there i mean if 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 a guy's looking to catch panfish
2: what kind of structure or something should he look for in that lake so kosh unlike madison lake says you know madison lakes it's it's Quality and quantity. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of panfish up there in the Madison chain is you know considered a panfish factory. Um rumor is actually the panfish limit is gonna be dropped to ten on Mendota starting April 1st. Uh, just Mendota is what I heard though. Um but as far as kosh, kosh is definitely quality. Um you catch fish in there, they're they're likely gonna be bigger. Our biggest perch is 14 and a half biggest is right around 15 15 and a half. Bluegills pushing 10 to 11 inches. Um are not going to catch them all day long, but usually when you get into them they're they're healthy quality fish. Um obviously yes, there's smaller ones. They got to got to have smaller ones to get that big too, right? But we find uh, we find a lot better um, bigger fish, but don't expect to go have a 40 50 day you know limit. Um can you yeah, absolutely. You certainly can. You get on, you get on the crappies, and you, know, you can have a banger of a day. But you know, the next day it's like, oh shit, where'd they go? Same with the perch. Um, they're very, uh, can be very elusive out there sometimes, especially in the summertime. Um, you know, we'll be on them for like a week or two, then all of a sudden they you can't find them for like a month, and then all of a sudden you relocate them completely at, in a spot you would never thought they would be. You know, it's kind of weird. Uh, in the wintertime, though, they're going to congregate more so around spring areas. So, if you can find those known spring areas, um, that's generally where we've had the most luck. Sure. And that, and there's a lot of springs out there, so you got to find them. in In the weedy areas too. Um, with that said, Koskenon has suffered kind of a um, not known to a lot of other lakes, but. last couple of years it's suffered a couple winter kills and typically when you hear winter kill you think of low oxygen kills fish Uh, on koshkana it was actually the opposite was true Uh, it's too high of oxygen and what happened was we had that crystal clear ice with no snow on it it acts like a greenhouse effect so weeds there's certain weeds that grow actually um more so In the winter, they do in the summer, although they're surviving the winter. So there's still, you know, plant life going on underneath the ice. And the photosynthesis still happens. So oxygen is still given off. But now it doesn't have open air to release into. It hits the ice cap and it's stuck. So you have this basically a greenhouse effect where sunlight's penetrating through this crystal clear ice. Plants are off-gassing oxygen. Oxygen gets trapped under the ice and the level goes up to a level that the fish can't tolerate. Um it's very similar to like uh you ever heard of the bends? Like what divers get the bends? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what happens that fish get air embolisms in their gills and they actually die from it. Mm-hmm. It affects panfish more so, I think because the other fish aren't as stupid, so they feel it coming and they leave. Um when pike, pike can handle a little oxygen better than other fish but they won't bite worth of shit um, if they're there in that low oxygen, but they won't die. So there were some times where we were over by um, like Bingham's Heights uh, Bay area in that point where we saw a lot of uh, dead panfish right underneath the ice and had the DNR come out and they, and they did the the DO meter, the dissolved oxygen in the water. And it was like 25 parts per million, which is significantly high. Typically like single digits is kind of more of a norm. Um and that's what caused that. So it's kind of a, a weird thing that can happen out on Koshka. And a good thing is it's usually isolated to certain areas where there's a lot of weeds and no snow on the ice. So it's not like a lake-wide phenomenon. And it also can change from one day to the next. So one day it could be there, and then two days later it's gone and good for the rest of the season. Wow. So it kind of depends, depends on a lot of, you know, sunlight how much sunlight they're getting, how much snow covers on the ice, how thick is the ice. as that ice gets thicker and starts to cloud up, it doesn't have as much effect of that happening. So you'll usually see it like more of an initial ice. It's kind of crazy, but it happens. Something to keep an eye out on. Yeah.
0: Do you use much for electronics out there? I mean, other than maybe for mapping?
2: No. No, I do. I use side imaging religiously in the summertime. Um, you know, ice fishing, if we're jigging, we're using, we're using flashers still. Um, you know, we're fishing anywhere between, if we're jigging, we're typically in three to five feet of water, you know, so we can find, so we can find the deeper spots. It kind of depends on the lake level at the time. Um, so yeah, we're still using, still using electronics like you would on a, on a deeper lake. Sure. Um, the, the mapping is huge. Uh, go out and map springs in the summertime you can see my water temperatures, plus on side imaging, you can kind of see where they're bubbling out of, and I'll mark those. And then right when ice is starting to form, you can kind of see where they're at and mark the edges of those as well. Um, so I got a lot of springs marked as waypoints of where to go. So once everything locks up and snow covers out there, I still kind of know where the springs are. It's helpful for safety and helpful for catching fish.
1: Are, are those springs um, I flow enough to cause ice concerns at all during the winter?
2: Yeah, some of them, especially now since they do that drawdown every winter, you know, obviously the surface of the ice is now closer to the springs with any drawdown, so those springs are going to um, erode ice more so than they would if the water's deeper. Um, some springs are known that are they've been there since I can never remember and probably long before my grandfather can remember. And then there's other springs that seem to pop up one year, and then the next year they're gone for whatever reason. Mm. Um, this gets kind of interesting, but, you know, the, the springs that you always, they're always around or off, off Sunset Bar. There's those ones up by North Shore. There's several up by Norms. like Stinkers Bay has a bunch. Um, well, in front of on Mounds, in front of Tebow Point over by uh, Busseyville um creek or Kaskana creek in the front of highway those are all areas that have been known to um, that have springs and also all areas that have known to cause ice rescues um, because of because of that factor uh, you, you know take for instance like this weather coming in if if it all freezes and flash freezes the areas of springs is going to still freeze cuz it's going to get cold enough but it might only have an inch of ice where 50 feet away, it might get six inches of ice. Well, now it snows. Now you don't know by visual appearances what's what. You're taking a quad across there. You're on six inches of ice, and all of a sudden you're on one inch of ice, and now you're in the water. And, that, and it happens every year out here um, because of that that reason right there. So it's the springs. Uh, I always tell people if they don't know Kashkanan, you probably shouldn't go out on Kashkan, um without someone that is – experienced with the lake just because, uh, ice fishing wise, I mean, just because there's so many springs out there and they pose a lot of um hazards and, and dangers. Fish, yeah, we got... Fish with crowds. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's say we have uh, the lake my in-laws live on. They got a bunch of springs. It's a deeper lake, clear water lake, and you'll be in 12 foot of water with 18 inches of ice, and you drill a hole six feet away, and it's six inches of ice, and yeah. that's 12, 14, 15 foot of water.
2: That's why yeah, I brought that up a, because it gets a little sketchy sometimes. It, it does. It's you know I'm kind of playing roulette, so to say, out there, especially even when you're driving. Um, you know, we drive around out there. Like I said, I got a lot of springs marked, but that doesn't mean one didn't pop up or there's not something there that I didn't notice. And um, I learned a long time ago, compl- complacency is what gets you hurt. And I try my I try my damnedest to not get complacent. It's hard sometimes because like oh, I did this yesterday or I've done this a thousand times, and it only takes one time to for an incident to happen. And I don't ever throw stones if it does happen to someone because I know it could easily happen to me just just as quick. Right. It's um, nature of the beast. Just yep. try to be careful.
0: Yep. Life keeps you humble.
2: Yeah, it sure does. And your wife. Yes. <laughs> she beats me this is my cry for help you're watching this if you're watching this no i'm not okay blink twice
0: Blink
2: twice. <laughs> <laughs> well she's probably gonna hear me she's gonna hear me come up here and knock the phone off if, go, there, if we go dead you know what happened
1: <laughs> we'll call for a wellness check uh, yeah wellness thank you check. there we go
2: so, where can people find you? Um, so, our website's pikepolefishing.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook at Pike, po- Pike Pole Fishing Guide Service. Um, got an Instagram account, but I just switched that from public to private because I was getting too many thoughts that were sort of following us and it was just getting out of control. So, um, I might have been have those bots. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It look a little different than the picture, though. <laughs> um, so that's a it's a private, but you can um, you can request, and I if I know if people are requesting and and I uh, can tell they're an angler or somebody locally, then um, I automatically let let those guys into the Instagram account. But um, pretty much Facebook and in our website, though. Fair enough. Well, we got some, we got some YouTube videos out there too floating around, but um, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of videos and editing and whatnot so I probably I think I've letting that one kind of slip away a little bit but we got some out there
0: great well we'll have to uh, insta stalk you and uh, send some bots over to your Facebook page perfect' <laughs> <laughs> Just what I'm looking for all right <laughs> thank you for uh, for coming on and hanging out with us and giving us all your spots and uh, <laughs> some great information on Safety, ice safety.
2: No problem, man. I I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. I could talk ice safety uh, until I'm blue. It's that's something that's true and dear to me. And you um, know, unfortunately, we've had uh, we've had a lot of um, things not go well, and and be the uh, first-hand seeing that happen, and, and and it just breaks your heart. So if we can make a difference, uh, myself and these other guys that help me out, and try to to, to make someone. Uh, be a little safer, then then that's what it's all about. Awesome. Well, that's something we can definitely be on board with. Cool, man. Appreciate the support. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. All right. You guys have a good night. You too. You too.